Welcome to Christ, Culture, and Cinema with the doctor, Jeffrey Skopak, and his trusted assistant, Michael Pop, as they explore the intersection of faith, movies, and our contemporary context. Welcome back to Christ, Culture, and Cinema. Happy Halloween, Michael. How are you doing today? Happy Reformation Day. <laughs> well, for those of us in the Lutheran ethos of the Protestant church world, yes, Happy Reformation, a mighty fortress is our God, 95 Theses, Catholic Church door, Wittenberg. Yes. But for the secular society, it is Halloween. Hell yeah. I have to tell you, I just talked to my father and he said, um, this is a, what, a week, not even less than a week before Halloween, but it's 80 in Northwest Illinois today. And I said, oh, kids are actually going to get to wear Halloween costumes and I cover them up with coats. No, high of 34 on Halloween. That's there you go. Drop it. Yeah, for sure. You know, I wake up here in the morning. It's a, a lovely 38, 39 degrees, but it warms up to 70 in the afternoon, and it's lovely, absolutely lovely. Well, there's so many great Halloween movies. We haven't really ventured down many of them, such as Halloween or Scream, for that matter. Uh, but instead, this week I chose a movie for us that was critically acclaimed, Academy Award-winning performances, that movie being The Dark Knight. And it's not a Halloween movie. It came out on July 14th of 2008. Um, it was the sequel to Batman Begins. Uh, had a robust cost of $185 million to make, but a box office that went over the threshold of a billion dollars, 1.006 billion dollars. Yeah, kind of a big number. That is huge. When you take 2008 money, translate it to 2023 money, to realize this is one of the most successful box office movies of all time, to be sure. Now, the director, Christopher Nolan, and what more can we possibly say about this director? You know, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Return of the Dark Knight that will come after this, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and this past summer, Oppenheimer. He does big stuff. And, and he does quality big stuff. And he does mind-blowing, get your head wrapped around what the heck is going on stuff. I mean, let's be honest, Interstellar, we've done. Yeah. yeah. It really makes you think. Uh, I know we've not done Dunkirk. Let me tell you, you feel as though you are on the beach with the British and Belgian troops pressed up against the sea, the Germans closing in on you. It is a fabulous movie. Is that when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Uh, there you go, uh, Senator Blutarski. There you go. Yeah, you like that. I caught that, didn't I? You caught it. You caught it. That was a good one. Yeah. 
let's talk a little bit about the cast. And uh, this is a, a fabulous cast. I mean, these are big, big actors and actresses in it. Playing Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, is Christian Bale reprising the role. Uh, again, we've had him in movies like The Big Short. Uh, what a great movie that is. Uh, but he's been in, let's, let's just consider, 310 to Yuma, American Psycho. He voiced in Pocahontas, the Disney animated flick. American Hustle, Amsterdam. We had him in Thor, Love and Thunder. And we also had him in Ford versus Ferrari. What a tremendous movie that is. And Vice, this guy's a home run hitting actor, to yeah. say the least. It's, this is our fourth? Because you said Big Short. Yep, Did Big Short. I don't even remember. We've had him in Big Short, Thor, Love and Thunder, Ford versus Ferrari. This is his fourth appearance on Christ Culture and Cinema. Uh-oh, he's getting into Bill Murray uh, land. Yeah, he sure is. Now, the the best role, the best acted role in this movie, which is hard to say when you're when you're out acting Christian Bale, and I don't even think he outacted him. He just complimented him so well that he stole the movie was the late the great Heath Ledger playing the Joker. And, you know, Heath Ledger, you know, kind of broke into the world, so to speak, with Brokeback Mountain, which was a very edgy movie in its time. Um, most people know him for A Knight's Tale and The Patriot, but he was in an award-winning movie, Monster's Ball. Um, he was in 10 Things I Hate About You. His life ended too soon. Uh, died tragically of an overdose, never got to see the fruits of this performance, uh, was gone before the Academy Awards, gave him the Best Actor Award posthumously. Well, there, there's a great interview out there with Aaron Eckert where he talks about that scene in the uh, hospital. Yes. With him and Heath Ledger and, and how, what a character actor, how crazy almost Heath Ledger was trying to get into this character and, and, and what they did. And um, it was almost scary the way it came out. So great. It's a, it's a good interview. I'll have to look up on uh, YouTube. Yeah, it is excellent. I did see yeah. that. And uh, I love when Aaron Eckert who plays Harvey Dent, uh, by the way, in the movie um, says that Heath Ledger just kind of stalked around the room and kept mumbling and talking and was never out of character so when they finally had the cameras rolling, it was just a continuation of this very yeah. intense moment with him. Let's talk about Aaron Eckert for a moment. You know, again, thank you for not smoking. Aaron Brockovich, he was in Midway. We had, you know, we did Midway. What a great movie that was. Um, he has, he was in Olympus Has Fallen. He was in Sully, the uh, Sully Sullenberg, um, you know, the flight that landed in the Hudson, you know. Yeah, great actor uh, playing Alfred, reprising his role, Michael Caine. Well, uh, I, I'm sure we'll get into this when we get into the movie, but we got to get back to the Two Face, the makeup. The, the oh, oh we that was incredible. We will, we absolutely will. Now, Michael Caine, uh, we could go on and on in Michael Caine's career forever. Uh, just a few movies I loved him in: Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Awesome. This congeniality, he is fabulous in that. And I think he's the scene stealer in Austin Powers Gold Member. I, I love him in that. And a um, 
movie that I just uh, was talking about the other day with a with a member here in Asheville, The Man Who Would Be King. What a great movie! Oh my gosh, that is a classic movie. I haven't seen it. Oh, he, go he, back, he also, find uh, it, and watch it. Watch it. He was also in Interstellar with Christopher. Oh Lewis. yeah, for um, sure. I loved him in uh, Now I See You and, yep. and the sequel. You know, he was great. That, in excellent. That. Excellent um, movies. Sweet Liberty. I still go back to he. He was hilarious with Alan Alda in Sweet Liberty. Great, great. Oh, movie. that's funny. Yeah, that's another good movie. Uh, let's go on. Let's talk about uh, the one who plays Rachel, who is the lawyer, who is uh, you know was Bruce Wayne's love interest and the like. Uh, Rachel is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. This is Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, uh, and it's interesting to see what she's been in. She was in Mona Lisa's Smile. Stranger Than Fiction, White House Down, 40 Days and 40 Nights, and she's been in some good stuff. Not the enormous wealth of a career that we're used to seeing, but a quality career, to say the least. She's worked hard. And yeah. uh, this is a movie's 15 years old, so no spoiler alerts. We can say what right. we want. Of course. Now, playing Lucius Fox uh, is Morgan Freeman. And Morgan Freeman... Is, he's a he's a treasure. He is. There's just a lot of great movies he's been in. Obviously, your favorite, Shawshank Redemption. Best. Um, Driving Miss Daisy is still one of his best roles of all time. Million Dollar Baby was a huge movie, another award-winning movie. And, of course, I have to mention The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Yes, indeed. He is in there, and oh, by the way, with his buddy Michael Caine in Now You See Me and the sequel to Now You See Me. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how these guys start doing movies together, I think, just because they like hanging out with each other. I really do. Yeah, and and uh, and again, he he's one of those, the voice is so iconic in anything he does. It's incredible, but I, I loved him with Brad Pitt in Seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. It was almost uh, 30 years ago now. Holy cow. Yeah. It's just crazy how all of a sudden it creeps up on you how long ago some of these great movies were made. Now, the last character I'll touch base on uh, is Scarecrow reprising his role from the first movie where he was the principal villain uh, is Cillian Murphy, who I, I think is just on speed dial for Christopher Nolan. Uh, I really do. He He seems to be all the time, everywhere, on a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, with that being he said... Over, he skipped over uh, Gordon. Well, we'll come back Very to Gordon. Uh, but, you know, Cillian Murphy, Inception, Dunkirk, yeah. Tron Legacy, uh, 28 Days Later, and then, of course, here he is as the star, the lead in Oppenheimer. So... Everything He's definitely a Christopher Nolan favorite. You want to touch on Gordon? How can we not? You, sorry about that. I I got cut off and thought you were done with him. I didn't mean to cut you off on. No, nope, uh, not at all. Now, Gordon, played by Gary Oldman. Uh, oh, by the way, he appears in the Hitman's Bodyguard. Uh, he, he's he's hanging out too with uh, with Morgan Freeman there. Uh, Harry Potter, uh, Gary Oldman is Har in Harry Potter. He's serious black. I mean, how do you yeah. that one? I know one of your favorite, uh, one of our favorite movies to talk about, The Fifth Element. 
is a great movie. It is. Well, it's a different movie. It's goofy. We should do it. You know, Uh, you know, as we kind of see Bruce Willis, uh, his health is failing. We we may have to do that movie to honor him because that is a fun, fun movie. Um, And then, of course, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say he's also in Oppenheimer. So he's another one that's um, a Christopher Nolan favorite. Shows what a loaded cast this is. Holy cow. How did they make this for under 200 million? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, I think if you're going to be in a Christopher Nolan movie, uh, you know, you you bespeak quality right out of the shoot. You're you're a quality actor or actress. There's no no doubt about it. And this particular movie, uh, I you know, you mentioned it before we started uh, recording this particular episode. This could have been two movies, easily could have been two movies. There's so much material here, so much good stuff that this could have been a three and a half hour movie divided in half. Would you agree with that, Michael? It's one of those movies where if if they saw the way Tom Cruise has handled this Mission Impossible, uh, I I can't wait to go back for the second part, right? I watched the first part of the theater, I'm ready to go. And once they got the Joker in uh, the holding cell, yeah, they easily said, hey, uh, come back for part two. I would have come back. And they yep. could have really fleshed out that ending because it's such a great ending. We'll get to. Um, but yeah, it's almost two separate movies here. It's wonderful. And almost all of them. They're almost all two and a half hours. They could have easily gone over three if they really wanted to uh, keep some. Yeah, most certainly. They very easily could have kept this movie, you know, as a, a singular standalone piece or expanded it without much work to get the expansiveness of this character. Let's, let's talk about this movie. This this movie is coming back. Gotham City is is better than it was in the first movie, but it's still a place bereft with crime. It is a place of of danger, and and Batman has lots and lots of work to do. Enter this new character, the Joker, uh, the crime syndicate. Uh, doesn't, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out how to work around the Batman and enters the Joker. And, and upon him entering the room, well, a very, very dark and chaotic mo- moment when he drives a pencil through the guy's eye socket and kills him, you know, right there at the table. It's a... Uh, it's scary. You don't expect this to happen. He wants to show him a magic trick and he has the pencil and he rams the guy's head through the pencil and you're going, Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. There is this moment of pure chaos. And that's what we see. Uh, that chaos unfolds when he, I love when he goes to blow up the building, you know, he's in the, uh, he's in the nurse's outfit and he, he, he comes walking out and he hits the button and nothing happens and he shakes it and he looks at it a few minutes and then all of a sudden the building just explodes behind him and it's again it's this chaotic moment it's uh things you don't expect uh what did you see early on in this movie what what were things that you would say kind of caused terror to the audience well the one thing for me that was a little different is I actually, 
I, I don't know why I didn't watch this at the time. It wasn't on my list. It was just one of those that passed by. So I actually saw The Joker, which was really the start of your book, Christ, Culture, and Cinema, in the summer yeah. podcast. And you can see um, where um, – why am I spacing his name? Uh, Joaquin, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Where he took – I mean, for him to go back and play almost a prequel to what we're seeing in, in this movie, you could see where he started and where that childhood came. And, and so I had a little bit of almost what did that look like to where he came? You know, it's funny how these guys are able to bring those together. Let me give you let me give you an insight. I'm kind of you know, when in the world of superheroes, Batman has always been my favorite. And this particular Batman uh, played by Christian Bale. It's a different Batman. This is dark. This is not the, um, this is not the Adam West. This is not the Michael Keaton Batman. This is a dark, this is a dark movie. And I would tell you even darker, the, the Joker character played by Heath Ledger in contrast to the Joker played by Joaquin Phoenix. They're two different Jokers. Uh, the thing that is so chaotic and scary, and I'll use the word scary about the Joker in this movie is you don't understand or know the motives of why he's doing what he's doing. Now, Joaquin Phoenix, you get it. I mean, that is totally perfectly wonderfully laid out there of a, of a child who grew up in a broken home with a broken mother where the system fails him, where uh, the the social services uh, really are just shoving him along, where the pressures that are coming down upon him brings him to a critical moment where he snaps. And you know it. You know the exact moment you can circle it, where all of a sudden he's taking out people on the subway, he's killing a guy in his apartment, and he's seeing he's seeing things that really aren't there. You know, it's a psychological break. Heath Ledger as the Joker, on the other hand, you have no earthly idea why he's doing what he's doing. You don't know his motives. You don't know anything about him. He's just there as a symbol of pure chaos. But as much as we don't know what he's doing, he obviously is always five steps ahead. The, the way he plans everything, the way, I mean, what's going on in the jail with the guy with the cell phone in his stomach that he uses to blow the place up, the the, the plan with the, uh, it's almost like he knew. Oh. They're going to try to get all the inmates off the island, so there's going to be inmates in one boat and civilians in yeah. the other and to play a social experiment. Yeah. But it's chaotic. And, see those guys when gets midnight and nobody's blown up and it's like wait a second it yeah. didn't work that was one of the few times you see in his face not what he right. expected for sure i mean it's pure chaos and you know it really yeah. got me thinking about what is most terrifying what makes a horror movie scary and I would tell you, it's the lack of knowledge as to why things are happening as they happen, as they unfold. It's not just the popping out of a out of a casket yelling "boo." It's the it's the person who's the axe murderer, and you don't understand their motives. It's the 
you know, I go back to the movie, the classic, The Silence of the Lambs. And we, he's so sane in that movie. Anthony Hopkins is just so sane, but he's insane. And you don't understand why. What is his motive? What is his, and he creates this terror in fear because you're always trying to figure out why is he doing this? Why is he thinking this way? Why is he saying what he is saying? And that's, that's Heath Ledger. He is so in character that he's terrifying. You know, take a moment and think about, I, 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 it gave, it gave me pause to think about things in the Bible that would be of that, of that line of that kind of, uh, type of terror. Uh, you know, the first place I went without a doubt in my mind was Moses and the 10 plagues. You know, think about this for a moment. Think of it through the lenses of an Egyptian, not an Israelite. Okay. And this guy, Moses shows up who they knew because he used to be in the Pharaoh's court. And he says, let my people go. All right. Innocent thing. He throws down the staff, turns into a snake. The magicians do the same thing. And then Moses' staff eats them. Well, that's not really too terroristic. But when he turns the Nile into blood, all right, I want you to think about that for a moment. The smell and the texture of blood is now the Nile River, okay? Or there are now frogs and locusts everywhere. That is invoking chaos and fear in the lives of the Egyptians, and then all leading up to where the firstborn in every household dies. I mean, that is ter- that's where the Egyptians finally say, get out, leave, take whatever you want. We don't care. Just go, right? That's terror. And, and that's what invokes genuine heartfelt fear in people is the lack of understanding. How? Why? We don't know. You know, that's a... Uh, I think that's a big thing. We can look at it through the same lenses of like the walls of Jericho, you know, and the Israelites. We never think of the Israelites as being kind of the ones bringing the chaos and fear, but this happens in the Old Testament when they start marching around the walls of the city of Jericho for days, blaring trumpets. Uh, that's chaotic. And then on the on the last day, when the walls come crumbling down, I mean, that's pure chaos. That's that's invoking terror on those who are on the other side of that wall. Uh, you know, what did you see? I mean, do you see this? I mean, this, this is why I look at the Joker going, he is maybe the darkest character in recent movie you know, lore because he is so dark and chaotic and we don't know why. Yeah, I think the thing that was tough early on is I tend to watch movies trying to figure it out. You know, I think we all do it. What's going to happen next? And and so early on, you're you're looking at uh, Gordon Dent, uh, Rachel. You know, who, who's 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 really who do you trust? Who's, yeah. Who's on the up and up? You know, you start to get these side characters of who do you trust and who don't you? You, you start to find out how the Joker got to him through other people and how he used fear of other people and. And it's, it's why it was such a fun movie, and it's why I almost feel like it's two different movies. It, yeah. It's really a two-parter. And, and not that it was two different movies, but that you know they cut so much good stuff to get it into two and a half hours. There, there had to be three and a half, four hours worth that. It could have made two unbelievable movies. And they did, really. The Batman Begins, 
really is is a two parter. The whole beginning of Batman and then what happens, right? Um, the Dark Knight certainly is, and and the Dark Knight Rises certainly is another even longer one. That um, this this could have been six movies, easy, all of them, and so well done. Oh, for sure, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I I come back to this one because I, I think the arc that Christopher Nolan takes us on this kind of arc of Batman's beginning to the end of Batman at the uh, at the uh, third movie when it's when the Dark Knight rises. Um, when you look at it, this is the kind of the the mountaintop moment with the the chief of villains, the darkest of villainy. And I think in our world today, we spend a lot of time contemplating evil and darkness and trying to define it, trying to put our hands on it. Um, I go back to 9-11 and when the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, on the Pentagon, and the foiled plot on the Capitol occurred, it was it was dark. And when and, and when the then president, George Bush, came out and called it evil, we're, we're usually slow to well, call something evil. Right. We, we are. But it was evil when innocents die. And, and isn't that what the Joker does in this movie? You know, when he puts the inmates on one ship, you know, on one of the Staten Island ferries and puts the civilians on the other and gives them each a detonator and one has to choose to blow up the other. That's evil. I mean, that's a morality play of evil right in front of us. Um, I, I go, you know, even to the most recent news, which has been so hard to watch. The uh, first, the terrorist attacks on Israel by Hamas. And now the, the, the response by Israel as they are as they are literally encircling and closing down on the Gaza Strip. And we look at that and we say, triggered by evil. You know, these are evil behaviors. And, and evil is scary. Evil is ultimately what makes a, holo a holiday like Halloween at its roots a dark day. Because it is about scaring. It is about Boo. It is about jumping out of the casket. It is about causing terror. Uh, and we see this in this movie. I, this movie could be a Halloween movie. Uh, it absolutely could. So that, that's what I see from this. You know, I would tell you one other piece of this movie that I'll, I'll take away uh, from it is we see how evil really wears down the the good guy so to speak the um yeah it really wears down batman in this movie he's he's very beaten by the end of it even though he comes out victorious it wears him down and, and i think that's what's happening in our world today we are getting worn down by overt evil that it's inexplainable i, I think lucius fox's character uh has that moment with bruce wayne where, wait a second, what you're doing is wrong, even if it's for the right reason. And that's where, you know, Bruce basically says, look, that's why you're the only one that has control over it. And when you're done, type in your name. It'll be, you know, I, I don't think he knew it was going to be destroyed, but I think he, he kind of figured yeah. it out. 
It's that that fine when you got to have good guys. Yeah. And and I'm going to tell anybody who watches Interstellar or Inception. I I know Dark Knight doesn't have the same crazy idea, but it's really that deep. It's that dark. You can watch it again and pick more yeah. things up. There's some some. Uh, some weird stuff in this that he does such an excellent job with. I, I haven't seen Dunkirk or Oppenheimer, but I'm looking yeah, forward to Dunkirk both of them. is spectacular. It really and truly is. And um, you know, I'm waiting to see Oppenheimer too. It's one of those we need to sit down. I need to I need couch time watching it. It's 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 a big movie, it's a long movie. But that's what Christopher Nolan brings us. Expansive, well thought out, makes you think kind of movies. Which I think that leads us to our question of the day. You know, when you're as we as we lead up uh, to this uh, Halloween, and uh, as we look at the world around us, where do you see chaos that leads to evil? Where where do you see this chaos in our world today, and where do you see evil abounding? Can you name it? Do you understand it? Uh, are you terrified or frightened by it? Are you angered by it? What is your response to the evil that you see being portrayed in the world today? I think that's a, I think that's a good place for us to leave. Now, if you're enjoying our podcast, consider leaving a rating or a review, and most importantly, share it. Many of you have been doing that. Good Lord, our audience has grown. And don't forget about the book, uh, Christ, Culture, and Cinema, How Faith and Film Intersects. In fact, uh, one of my religion teachers here at our school is using it, uh, Michael, uh, to teach religion to the middle school today. They're uh, working on Toy Story, the chapter on Toy Story. Now, before we sign off today, I do want to tell you that we do uh, we do hear you, we do listen to your comments. And one of the things Michael and I are going to start doing next week uh, is we're going to start shortening up our conversations about the cast. He and I love talking about the cast. We love, love seeing it. the crossovers and what movies they've been in. But we also realize you want to get into the meat of the movie and you want to hear what we have to say about it and you want to interact with that. So we're going to be shortening up our conversations on the cast quite a bit and spending more time talking about the movie. Now, next week, we're going to do a movie that really is one of my favorites. Uh, haven't watched it in a while, but I've dusted it off, watched it the other day. It's a great movie uh, because it's kind of my home back in New York, uh, starring Ben Stiller. Next week, we're going to go spend a night at the museum. Until next time, we'll see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for Christ, Culture, and Cinema with the doctor, Jeffrey Skopak, and his assistant, Michael Pop. Until next time, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>